Welcome to your team with Sue and Steph. I'm Sue. And I'm Steph. We are the co-founders and owners of Your Teen Media, the resource for parenting tweens and teens. And today we're talking to Diana Graber about sextortion and how it affects the lives of teenagers. For those of you who don't know, sextortion is a crime that involves blackmailing a victim where the extorter threatens to share compromising sexual images, videos, or information unless the victim pays up or engages in more sexual acts. Moreover, they often skim the victim's social media accounts to find out about their family members and friends. In other words, they will let the victim know they can destroy their reputation with their loved ones at any moment, even though that's often a lie. Neither Stephanie nor I have, in our, at least to our knowledge to date, experienced this with our kids. But there were so many components of this that we both were concerned about that we took a little time to look deeper into what this looks like. By the way, you'll want to stay on to hear from Diana, of course, but some of the information is the same way we all deal with these scams. I mean, I had an experience, which at the time I was so embarrassed to share with anybody because I seemed like such an idiot. Well, I was such an idiot to respond to it, but it was something happening at a very fast pace. I got an email that said all of my accounts were going to be closed down if I didn't click here right now. And I was rushing and rushing, and so I clicked. And of course, it took me down this rabbit hole of having to worry about my credit and all of these other things. And it was such a nightmare. And what it required was taking a breath and making sure it was correct. Now, Steph, how often do you get an email where you're like, real or fake? All the time. And I feel like those opportunities are coming more and more. I just feel like it's constant that I look at my texts, I look at my emails, like, not real, not real, not real. Oh, that could be real. Yeah, I get one about patent infringement for pictures all the time. And we only use pictures that we pay for from deposit photos. So I feel very comfortable that even if they were to pursue something, they had the we have the rights to it. But every single time it comes, I go and I check who sent it to me, see if the email looks suspicious. I Google it. It seems like a real place. And then I just let logic prevail that, like, we haven't done anything wrong. But imagine if you're a teenager and, like, how much comes at you. And so... I think more than knowing or not knowing whether our kids have sexted or done any of those things is like, how good have we been at teaching them how to pause? And in all likelihood, they're better at it than us, right? But if you were to get an email that said, I'm going to share this compromising picture with your parents unless you blank, or I'm going to put it up on your social media account unless you blank, like, I don't know. I, I'd be terrified and I'm terrified. I'm a grown up. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I was thinking of those times where we've gotten the calls, exactly what you said, Sue, where all of a sudden like you didn't pay this tax and this is going to happen. And I reached out like immediately to my husband and or accountant and said like, is this, could this be real? And like, and I'm so tempted to say, well, what's your social, we can clear this up. Give me your social security number. Like your heart is beating so fast. And, and I think it's, it's what you said, which is, you know, have we prepared them? It's not The pause is one thing. And then the other is that no matter what it is, even if they can't pause, that there's always a solution. That's the one thing like we say constantly over here is even when it seems like there's not a solution, there is a solution. So that they come to us, hopefully, right, when something happens that they think, oh, my God, like, this is the end of this. Like, this is so embarrassing. This is so awful. How would I ever recover? Right? It's so scary, Yeah, but so I guess it goes along with almost every conversation we have around parenting, which is to have a a safe place for our kids to know Mm -hmm. that the consequences 
are only going to be about what happened externally, but that it's not going to be like, I can't believe you did that, hand me your phone, right? That we want to make sure that we're a safe place and that they trust us to come to us. But that's after the fact. So before the fact, like, I don't know precisely what you do to convince your kids that the thing they're using as if it's part of their body that they should, you know, I mean, we're sharing pictures all the time, everyone, not just kids, sharing pictures all the time. And, you know, what if they sent it to a boyfriend or a girlfriend? Yeah. yeah. Right. Which is still sexting and still in, in many states an actionable crime, but that can go the next level, which is you shared it with your then partner and then trusted partner <laughs> and then they they do you know you're no longer together and they do something else but even more in this extortion conversation is that there are people preying on kids in just those situations just to try to see if they can get something from them yeah it's really scary i mean i i think it's like every other conversation about like Snapchat and Instagram and what you're putting out there. And, you know, it's just like everything, one continuous conversation. It's just another one that I didn't realize we had to be having. We know these people who got a phone call, like saying we have your kid and unless you pay X amount of money and they couldn't reach one of their kids. So they could account for all of them except for one. And they didn't know what to do. And in the end, they heard from that kid. And so they knew everyone was safe and sound. And then they went to the police and the police said, this happens so often, there's nothing we can do about it. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. Yeah, that is. I can't imagine the terror. Yeah, and it was just enough money that you could conceivably pull it together. You know, like you could call some friends, you could do all of that stuff and try and get the money together. But then what? Then what happens? And I mean, it is just so crazy how many ways we can be taken advantage of. Yeah, and I think here's a space I think is really interesting for parents. I, I see it now as like, the kid of my parents and and as the parent of my kids, which is you don't want to scare your kids into like thinking that every, around every corner, around, across every, you know, step is a potential pitfall and they go through life scared of everything, right? Like that that's not what we want to do, right? We want to make them aware. It's kind of like, it reminds me of a conversation one of our kids was going to New York City and I said, hey, you know what? It's not Cleveland. Like, you're going to be on the subway. You're going to be walking around. Like, I'm not sure I would have a big purse or like, or keep my wallet in my backpack. I think I would keep my wallet more in like my crossbody and really close to me. Sure, you can have your umbrella and your sweater in your backpack. So it's more like, and I even said in the conversation, I'm not trying to scare you. I think all I'm saying is you have to be aware in a different way. I'm not trying to scare you, but there are murderers every corner. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I think that trying to find that balance where you're like, I just want you to be aware of your surroundings. There are times where you have to be more aware than others. It's probably worth that extra ounce of caution. There was a 2020 study that looked at middle school and high school kids and 5% of them reported sextortion incidences. So that's like one out of 20. And probably most kids didn't actually, weren't forthcoming. So it's not, it's not no one. It's happening it's insignificant, out there. right? <laughs> but so in the things to worry about, is it the worst? Probably not. But, but just in the same way, we're having conversations with our kids all the time about being mindful of their circumstances and maybe knowing how to modify who you are in, in different circumstances and telling girls going to college, like, don't walk alone at night, those kind of things. 
it falls into that same category. It's not like it's going to happen for sure. It's just put yourself in the best places and hold yourself in the best way so that you can protect yourself when possible. And this would be added to that story of the internet and how expansive it is and how how many ways people can try to take advantage of you. So I don't know. I'd say number one, check who sent it to you before you do anything, right? Like check that. Yeah. And then I had some, I, I looked up an article and it said some useful tips to prevent sextortion. Don't share too much information about yourself online. I think that ship has sailed. Use nicknames on dating sites and ideally don't connect them to your other social media accounts. I mean, that's interesting because often it'll be such an easy click to have it say, when it says, should we connect to your social media accounts? This is the one where um, we had someone who worked for us, Steph, who used to have cover her webcam. So this one says cover your webcam when when you're not using it. And I remember after I saw that, I did it a lot and then I stopped. But I guess there are people who believe that whether your green light is on your camera or not, it's still watching you. So that's a scary thought, but easy to fix, right? Only click on links and downloadable attachments from senders you trust. That's that's the same, like, you know, looking to see who it came from. And then yeah. good, good anti-malware software to dis- detect suspicious emails and files that might compromise your computer. Anyway, there are things to do. What do you do of those? Any of them? None. I did have one kid who was covering the camp, like had a little dot, like, you know, across the camera for a period of time. I I think that ship has sailed. And I don't think any of the rest of it. Well, I know for me, I don't do any of the rest of those things. I do. You you probably check the the sender, right? Yes. That's what I was just going to (laughs) say. I have one where that's exactly right. But you know what? You only get that once with that one. Yeah, right, right. Well, you know what? It's kind of like... That's another one that comes with experience. It's like you get to be a better driver the more times you drive. Well, the more emails you get, you and I get a lot of emails. We start, <laughs> you start to, you know, like feel like, oh, that something's wrong here. All right. Hard to teach. 5% of middle schoolers and high schoolers report having dealt with this. And yet still something that we should be having in our conversation. Up next is our conversation with Diana Graber. We can't wait for you to join us. everyone. Welcome to Candy Apple Advocacy, the podcast for parents who want to advocate for their children's education. I'm Jim Mallard, and I'm here with my wife, Tabby. We've been through the trenches of raising kids in the school system and know how tough it can be, but we also know how essential it is to advocate for your child and their education. That's why we started this podcast, to share our experiences and insights with other parents to help them become more effective advocates for their children. On this podcast, we'll talk about everything from general education, general school advice, the school choices you have available to you, different education styles, individualized education plans, 504s, and all those key terms that you've heard but don't know what they are. We'll talk to experts. We'll also talk to parents and hear their stories. We'll share our stories with you and give you tools you need to be a strong advocate for your child and yourself. Whether you're a new parent, or have been in the game for a while. We invite you to join our community. Let's advocate together. Diana Graber is the author of Raising Humans in a Digital World, Helping Kids Build a Healthy Relationship with Technology. She is the founder of cyberwise.org, 
and cybercivics.com, two organizations dedicated to helping adults and students learn digital citizenship and literacy skills. So there's a lot of discussion about something called sextortion. I'm certain that there are people listening right now who are like, is that the same as sexting? But it appears to be a serious crime. So can you tell us actually what's the definition and what makes it a crime? Yeah, so it is similar yet different from sexting. Sexting, as we all know, hopefully, it's the sending and receiving of sexually explicit images. Sextortion takes it a step further. It's actually a sort of blackmail where the the person doing the the sextorting will have an image that's sexual in nature of a child or, or an adult, even for that matter. And they'll threaten to send it to all of their friends and followers unless that person sends them money or some sort of additional imagery. So it's really extortion using sexual images. So can I just ask you a clarification? Is the is it a criminal act to do the first part or does there have to be a counter? Like someone tries to extort money, but the other person doesn't do anything. Is that still considered a crime if they were to say to somebody, I got this request, but I didn't do anything? You know what? It depends. <laughs> and the reason why, these things are happening across country lines. So what's a crime in the U.S. may not be a crime in India. And lately what we're seeing, and I just learned this really recently, is that, you know, there's kind of these crime rackets happening where people from other countries will send, well, they'll target, you know, kids or really anybody in social networks, anywhere from Snapchat to Instagram to the more private ones like the Omegles and all that. And they'll strike up a conversation with them. And they will have already gathered sexual imagery as sort of a lure to get these kids, oh, you know, let's talk about this. And then they'll try to get them onto a more private platform where they're going to engage in these sexual acts and maybe record them or take pictures of them. And then all of a sudden tell the person, hey, I've got these images. Unless you send me money or send me more, all of your friends are going to get this, which is so humiliating or embarrassing to the target. So back to your original question, is it a crime? It depends, you know, in the U.S., perhaps. But it, how do you, you know, even know who the perpetrator is and what are the laws in, you know, whatever country the perpetrator lives in? So it's very complex. Can you give us a few of the most common ways that teenagers would find themselves in a situation that would be the crime of sextortion? How does this happen? A way that probably most of us have heard about is, you know, teens will be in a relationship, boyfriend-girlfriend relationship. And within that relationship, they will exchange sexual images. That's sexting, okay? So that's a whole nother topic. That is also, depending on what state of the U.S. you live in, those laws are different. In some states, it's a serious crime. In other states, there's a little more leeway for that. But in any case, that also is illegal. If you're a minor, you are not supposed to have what's considered child pornography on your phone. What will happen in this case is of, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, they break up. It's a terrible breakup. They have sexual images of each other on their phones. One of the two will share it with others. And, you know, that's a, that's, um, a form of sextortion. So that's sort of what we've been hearing about in the past. Now what's happening is, you know, it's more strangers making relationships with somebody on one of these social media networks and then trying to lure them off-site in order to get them to engage in this extortion. So you mentioned earlier in this casual, like we all know it, these private platforms, and you said a, a word and 
I don't know that word or probably any other one. Other ones. <laughs> this is not what we're talking about today, but can you just give us like a very brief, what do you mean by private platforms and what's the most common? Yeah. So where initially contact is made with kids are the ones that they inhabit the most, the Snapchats, the Instagrams, et cetera. So when this, they're trying to get kids to like, oh, let's exchange images. Often it doesn't happen on those platforms, but they'll move them somewhere else. Interestingly, one of the places they're moving them to is Google Hangouts, which sounds so weird because Google is what kids use for school, right? But Google Hangouts is very convenient because it's more private. In addition to that, they can easily take a picture, take a video without the kid's consent using that platform. So that's what they'll do is they'll like, I'll show you yours, mine, if you show me yours, they videotape it, they have the stuff, and then they can say to the child or the teen or whoever and say, look at unless you send me an Apple gift card or you send me money or you send me more images like this. I have a list here of all your friends and followers from Snapchat where I met you. They're going to all get this image unless you send me something. So they're holding you virtually hostage and they're doing it. One of the ways you said is like, send me a gift card. Are there other ways? You know, there's all different ways. And a lot of times they do it to try to get more images And this is something I learned today. I learned this from the White Hatter who has dealt with these crimes in Canada, which is a little different, but the same instances. So they'll ask for more sexual images or they'll ask for a gift card or something. And that's when they'll threaten to release these images unless the kid engages. But what we've discovered from research is the engagement is a big mistake because they're going to ask you for more and more and more. And that's what we have to teach our kids is like, you're being lured in. You should be aware of that. You should talk to somebody about it. You should cut off communication because nine times out of 10, they're not going to follow through on the threat. It's just a way for them to coerce kids into giving them what they want. Are some kids more vulnerable to sextortion than others? Teens in general can be vulnerable to this just because of where they are developmentally. You know, kids go online when they turn, you know, become near preteen and teen because it's exciting to meet other people. They're social beings. And now they want to extend their social world into this online world. And so that's number one. And number two is their prefrontal cortex is not fully developed. So whereas an adult might say, oh gosh, danger, I should stop and think about the consequences of my actions. Kids thinking is more immediate. They can't think about tomorrow. They think about this second. And so they, that in a sense, makes them more vulnerable. But we have to remember that sextortion happens with adults too. Adults fall prey to this. So, you know, it's something that happens. We all make mistakes. Kids just make more mistakes than adults do. So it's not exactly like bullying where there's like something that the child who's being bullied can get bolstered or this could, this is, it sounds like it's equal opportunity. And when we walk around saying it couldn't happen to my child, is that like kind of, putting your head in the sand? Well, I think so. And really what opened my eyes to this is um, just this year, there were two incidents of um, sextortion in which young men, both high school students that were sounded like great kids, committed suicide as a result of sextortion. And in both instances, they couldn't see past the moment. They, They thought this is the worst. This is horrible. I cannot live with this thought. And they ended their lives without, you know, coming to a solution, which is so sad. And it just makes me think like we have to be aware that this is happening so that every kid out there knows that there's some adult that they can go to for help, that it's not the end of the world, that there's a way that they can deal with the situation moving forward. 
Let's talk about on the other side of this. If I'm a parent listening to this, I'm wondering, is there anything I can do to prevent this? You know what? The biggest prevention is education. You know, sexting, all of that stuff is happening super young. I mean, think about it, where an adolescent is. Budding interest in the opposite sex. At the same time, you're giving them a, a device that has a camera on it. They don't think long-term. I mean, it's just like the, a bunch of things that come together at once. And so in my view, the best thing to do is to educate kids when they're young, like middle school, early middle school, talk about sexting, introduce them to sextortion, let them know these things happen because it's a reality of online life and tell them, you know, this is a trick. Don't fall for it. It's a scam. Cut communication. Go to a, a trusted adult to talk about them. Report it to the platform where it happens. All of those steps are pretty easy to teach kids, but we just don't talk about it. I mean, you know, here we are right now, we're adults that, I mean, I'm learning more about it every day, but most adults don't even know what it is. Well, where's the best place to go to get more resources? If you're looking to, if this is the first time you've heard of this and you're thinking, I need to have a conversation about this. I mean, I guess you could ask your kid what they know to start, but then also where can they go to get more information? Well, the FBI, believe it or not, has some really good resources in, on sextortion. And, and one thing I will mention that I haven't mentioned is earlier this year, they actually put out a warning about it. They've found that it's happening more with young men. So they put out a warning regarding young men following falling for this. But if you go to the FBI website and you look up sextortion, they actually have some really great resources on it. On CyberWise, we have a whole learning hub on sexting with resources there as well. And then I always point to the Cyberbullying Research Center. Their website is so awesome. They have great resources on sexting, cyberbullying, sextortion, all of that. We'll put those links in the, in the show notes. So if you're listening and you want to be able to follow up with those websites, we'll have them in the show notes. There's one more I'd like to mention real quick, Susan, if I may, because I've learned so much about this from him. It's Darren Lauer with The White Hatter. He's in Canada, so his laws are a little different from ours. And he offers a great podcast. He also just did a podcast on sextortion. And at CyberWise, if you go to our CyberWise chats, we also just did a podcast on sextortion. Once sextortion happens, what should parents do? Like, how would we, how would I even know? How would I even find out? You know, I hope that every parent would find out. I mean, this really goes to being able to have that open line of communication with your kids about anything that happens online. And you start that by saying, look, at, it's a big world out there. Anything that happens that makes you feel uncomfortable, you can come to me and you won't get in trouble. I will listen with an open mind and we'll figure it out together. I mean, that's the biggest stumbling block with a lot of kids is they're afraid if they go to their parents, their parents will take their device away. And that's just not the right solution. The right solution is to say, look, at no matter what happens, I'm here for you. Because that's you know, when kids turn to the worst scenario, the worst case scenario, it's because they feel they don't have an adult to turn to. So let's assume that, you know, my, my kid has come to me, they told me what happened, now what? Okay, so the first thing you do, report it to the platform where it happens, report it to local authorities. It's, it's, a, it's a serious legal issue, so you've got to report it. Have kids block communication with whoever it is, is trying to reach them. And here's where it gets tricky. You know, when we teach kids about cyberbullying, we tell them to take a screenshot of the evidence. In the case of sexting or sextortion, you don't want to do that because all of a sudden you're the holder of child pornography on your device. So it's too bad because you would want to keep the evidence. But in this case, that's not the best advice. The law for sexting, when it is a crime in your state, was on both sides of the equation. Like the person who sent it and the person who received it could both be in trouble. 
And so our kids probably understand that now, right? Like we've talked about that. We understand that better. But in sextortion, it's only one side of the story. And yet our kids could be living with the same fear that they're going to get in trouble if they tell you. So we really do as parents probably have to understand this a little better. And if you could help us kind of like, what should the conversation look like with our teenagers in particular to get them to trust us? And, you know, taking the phone away, you already addressed, but how about that they're, whether they're going to get in trouble or not? You know, they shouldn't get in trouble because this is a human mistake. And, and that's the thing. They think they're getting in trouble, so they're too afraid to talk to an adult. And that's tragic because they need somebody to talk to to sort through this. So, I mean, I think that's job number one is say, look at, we all make mistakes. Don't be afraid to come to me with this one. This is a huge mistake, but don't be afraid to talk to me about it. And even way before that, I mean, the minute you give a child a connected device, just talk about like, do be super careful with what you share. Like, do not put intimate photos on there ever to anybody because nothing online is ever private. So even if you send it to your best boyfriend that you're totally in love with, that love may not last forever. And he's got that on his phone, you know, <laughs> number one. And number two is be super careful who your friends and followers are. You know, it's exciting to meet new people online, but it's also a bit of danger involved. You should know who you're connecting with. You know, do you trust them with the things that you're sharing with them? Is there anything we missed in this conversation? You're thinking, oh, this is another piece parents need to know. Whew. Well, there's probably a lot more that I'm missing. <laughs> <laughs> But just, you know, oh, I'm just going to go back to what I said at the beginning. It's scary and it's dangerous and all that, but it's not that common, honestly. Like, there was some research done in 2018. This is by the Cyberbullying Research Center pre-pandemic. And they found that 5% of kids had reported being victims of sextortion. So we're talking a pretty small percentage of kids. Anecdotally, they thought there was a bit of a spike. This is other research that was done. There was a bit of a spike possibly during COVID, but there has not been hard research to show that. It would make sense because we've all been online more during COVID, but still it's not like, you know, not a ton of kids involved in this. But again, one case is one case too many, and we should be talking to our kids about this. And also, even if it's small numbers, what's the, what's the effort to put in and have a conversation versus the consequences of not having it? It's like, just have the conversation. Yeah. And your kid might know some other kid who doesn't have anybody to talk to. You know, that's the thing that I love about when I teach cyber civics in the classroom is that we open the door to have a conversation and all the kids talk, you know, and they, they all know somebody that knows somebody that maybe got heard about somebody, you know, and we want the kids to have a safe place where they can discuss all these things they're dealing with in their online world. That was a great segue to our last question. You work with many teenagers. What surprises you most about them? How easy it is to teach them to be safe and wise online. It doesn't take a lot of effort. They just need your time and energy to put into that and they will come away being a smarter internet user. Wow, Diana Graber, that final line. <laughs> that really is like a just a kind of the only thing we have to learn today, right? <laughs> that it actually does impact our kids when we try to go back to them and have these conversations. So to everyone listening, make sure you have this conversation. Thanks so much for being here with us. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for the Your Teen Podcast. If you have any topics that you want us to talk about, let us know on our Facebook page or email editor at yourteenmag.com. If you're someone who reads an article and thinks of that one friend who has to read it too, think of our podcast the same way. 
please share with that friend who's going to say, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't know about your team with Sue and Steph. And do us a favor and review and rate the show on the podcast platform of your choice. You can find more from us at yourteenmag.com, at evergreenpodcast.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Your Team with Sue and Steph is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producer Michael D'Aloya, plus producer Hannah Leach and audio engineer Eric Coltnow. We'll see you next time. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.